season one of Written in Stone, the 1990s is supported by Tension Climbing. Wooden training tools designed with purpose in Denver, Colorado. Use the code STONE, that's S-T-O-N-E, to get 10% off of your next purchase at tensionclimbing.com and to let them know that their support for this show matters. Not valid for tension board sets, hardware, or gift cards. Cannot be combined with other offers. Tensionclimbing.com. Mastery over success. In the 1960s and 70s, there was one athlete. One who commanded more attention than any other. That man was first known as Cassius Clay, later to change his name to Muhammad Ali. And there was one journalist, one, who Ali trusted enough to open up to. He was the first to stop using Clay, the slave name that Ali wanted to leave behind, and to meet the fighter on his terms. And that alone created a mutual respect that continued for their entire lives. It's an interesting pairing, a journalist and an athlete. The journalist needs to understand, even revere, the sport. They usually don't have quite the same abilities on the field as the subject of the interview, but they have to be seen as an equal, or the interview just doesn't work. And from the late 90s to now, there's been one journalist, one, who's been in that role for climbing. He went from being a financial economist to teaching to freelance climbing journalism, which of course has to make us question his financial economist role to begin with, but that's beside the point. It's beside the point because since the late 90s, when an interview reveals the things we so desperately want to know about the greatest climbers, when it seems like they're talking to someone they just went bouldering with that day, maybe even just having a conversation with a friend at the crag, whether in writing or audio, from the lowdown to the ledge to the clandestine podcast known as CIA, the Climbing Intelligence Agency, the name on the byline is often the same. Bjorn Pohl. Bjorn Welcome to Written in Stone. Wow, thanks. Uh, what an introduction. That was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> did I pronounce your name correctly? I'm curious. Uh, no. <laughs> how, do, how do you pronounce nah, it? The thing is, it's a Swedish letter, so it's, uh, it's Björn. Like learn. Björn. Yeah. Got it. it okay. <laughs> I, I tried to listen to several other people pronouncing it, and I suspect it just happens all the time that people mispronounce. Yeah, I mean, I do it myself. So as soon as I start speaking English, I say Bjorn, which is stupid because I'm Bjorn, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, before we dive in here, I have a question for you. Hmm. If you could send one 1990s climber in their peak form to compete in Paris in 2024, who would it be and how would they do? Wow, uh, that's, that's a good question. Um, uh, male or female? Either. Either. Hmm. It would be an American, I think. Uh, it could be Chris Sharma. It could be Lynn Hale. It could be uh, Robin, well, Herbisfield at the time. Uh, yeah. Rabbit two now. Yeah. Good answers. I think, I think Chris actually is the one who like, he maybe even started this current style. Um, he mm. was like the the forefather of jumping around like a little wild person. So yeah, for sure. And it, but then again, like the, the difference in, in lead climbing style is not as big uh, as it yeah. is in bowler, of course. So true. 
Yeah. I, I think I still think like likes of Lynn or Robin would do really well. Yeah, I think so. Love it. Well, let, let's jump in here to talking about Fred Nicole. Um, he's sort of this like mysterious character to a lot of people. He doesn't do a ton of interviews. He doesn't um, assert himself in the media very often. He just quietly goes about his his like his life, and it's very cool to watch from afar. Um, mm. Back in two thousand eight, you wrote. No one has contributed as much to and dominated our sport for as long as this 37-year-old from Switzerland. Most and foremost, Fred Nicole is a man of passion and vision. To be a great climber is good, but to go where no one has gone before, to explore uncharted territory is where true greatness lies. How do you feel about that statement 15 years after writing it? Well, so, I mean, he's not 37 anymore. Uh, <laughs> I wish but, it worked uh, that way. Yeah. Other than that, I think uh, it's, I mean it's still correct. Of course, since then there have been other names have come up. You know, uh, like of equal importance. Say, uh, sure. the likes of Adam Andra, Chris Rambo mentioned before, and um, a few others. But at the time, at least the nineties, I mean, he was he was the one, right? Yeah, and, yeah totally. and I still stand stand by the fact that going where no one's gone before and to push the limits—that's always a completely different thing than just repeating what others have done, right? Although yeah. that's important too. But to to mm -hmm. push the limits, like Fred's done and then like Adam's done, Nalukataival, same thing mm -hmm. there. Mm. Yeah, and I think this whole season is filled with folks like that. Like when I look yeah. back and I try to choose what are the most important ascents, who are the most important climbers of a decade, those are the people I go to, the ones who are mm. pushing the limits, exploring the outer edges of the sport and trying to find what's next. Yeah, we have them to thank for a lot of things. Like Otherwise, we wouldn't be where we are in terms of, of climbing level, right? Yeah, totally. And, you know, back in the 90s, he wasn't just uh, just exploring the top reaches of bouldering. He was also at the top of the sport climbing game, which I think a lot of people don't realize. Uh, Bain DeSang was the third 9A, mm. um, maybe the fourth if we count Hubble in there. And uh, the second 9A given 9A by its first ascensionist, which I think is pretty important. Yeah. And he was also doing these mega long endurance traverses at the same time as the most powerful moves on the planet. Um, is Adam Ondra the, the like modern day equivalent to that? Or is there an equivalent? Uh, yeah, I think we shouldn't forget either that there were other climbers at the time as well. Likes of, you know, Ben Moon and Jerry Moffat, who was also doing the boulder yeah. thing, like they were bouldering. Yep. It's just... It's like back in that time, they didn't really, you weren't a boulder or a sport climber. Uh, you were a climber, right? Right, uh, right. Whereas now it's more specialization, although I think that's changing too, because you have the short sport, sport routes that are more close to the long boulders, right? And mm -hmm. vice versa. And then you have like the 50, 80, 100 meter rigs, you know, that like project, like the BAG, Flatanga, for example, that. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I don't know if it's 
makes any sense to to draw the line between bowlers and sport climbs really or if it's more the length of the of the of the uh rigs i don't know yeah it's it's cool to watch right now like the lines are being blurred more than ever yeah. and i think the athletes are really embracing it in a way yeah. similar to what was going on in the 90s where they didn't yeah. really make a distinction you know like we see stefano trying the hardest sport climbs on the planet at the same time as he's trying the hardest boulders on the planet yeah you know i think that's a really cool thing to get to watch and right as we speak um will Bose is down in arco yeah. trying to red point um uh, excalibur stefano just off his 9b plus route which is actually just a couple of moves longer than alfane the 9a boulder yep. into chino yep. so, yeah yeah, I, I live in a climbing area where, you know, wild iris is one of my home areas. And one of the defining characteristics is like the longest routes are 15 to 20 moves long. So, <laughs> so they're basically just long boulders. In fact, just the other day I was climbing on a sport climb and I said, this is the first time in almost a year and a half that I've felt like I'm sport climbing and not just bouldering on a rope. There's... Mm there is a, a different feeling to it, but it's because I've only been doing these little short things for so long. Um, I think it's just fascinating that Fred was at the top of that game as well. And a lot of us don't, don't put him in that bucket. We, we tend mm. to like create these categories like Fred, Nicole is a boulder, you know, and um, you know, who Adam Ondra is a, a sport climber. But that's not necessarily true. Uh, most of the top end climbers do it all. Yeah, sure. And I, I also think that back in the nineties, it was also. I mean, when it, and we talk about Fred here, uh, at the time there wasn't much information about Fred, right? You, you, it wasn't. We didn't have social media. Well, it's not that not that he's super active on social media, but I mean, you heard something, you heard rumors, you read something right, in the magazine right. that about something that happened somewhere you didn't know about like six months ago and so this you know it becomes like you know chinese whispers that that grows the the, yeah. the characters as well so the the fred nicole human becomes the superhuman becomes a superhero in a sense um and fred is very very human he's he's like <laughs> for sure right, that, right yeah i think that's interesting it turns into since we had so few stars back in the day, they almost turned fictional, you know? Yeah. And that's sort of why I'm not bringing on those voices in this podcast. Like when I tell mm -hmm. a story about Ben Moon, I'm not trying to interview Ben Moon on the podcast. You know, I'm reaching out to these people. You know, I've talked with Ben. I've talked with um, Lynn Hill. I've, I've talked mm -hmm. with Fred, actually, to get some details to fill in holes in the episode but I don't want their voices in it because I want to build them back up in that sort of fictionalized way in an era where we get to see everything live. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, would we, uh, I've never heard an interview with, with Fred though. Have you heard one like in on a podcast? Not or? on a podcast. I don't think, um, you know, in the research for the the Fred episode, which my friend Riley Rush uh, did most of the writing on, and then I I added some things into it. Um, there's an interview with Udo, mm. um, 
where he also in a video where he also repeats Raja and uh, Ladance, but it's a very short little interview. Yeah, but that's the video where he actually speaks German, Fred. Oh, does he? I didn't even realize that. I was just reading subtitles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too at first. But then I realized, but wait, wait, wait a minute. He's actually speaking German, but he speaks German like a French guy, you know, with the hands and everything. So it sounds right, like French. Right. So that's super cool. He's apparently fluent in German as well. Wow. I didn't realize that at all. <laughs> he, he is a fictional superhero. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. <laughs> One of the things I've always found really interesting about him is that he seemed to be this, you know, even in, in the later years into the two thousands, he was still traveling to repeat the hardest boulders. And, you know, and this was sort of at a time where people were like, um, instead of traveling to repeat the hardest things, they were just going and and doing their own things. Mm. Um, and in the nineties, there was this like Jerry Moffat and Wolfgang Gulich and, these guys in the 80s and 90s were, were going across the world to repeat the hardest things so they'd have a foundation to better understand their, you know, pushing the mm. limits. And Fred was going to all these far-flung places and repeating the hardest boulders. Like Witness the Fitness in Arkansas, it's in the middle of nowhere in a cave, and he goes to repeat it, which I think is really fascinating. Um. Maybe Burden of Dreams would have been repeated since we brought up Stefano and trying that and Will Bosey. Maybe it would have been repeated years ago if people still had that same sort of ethic. What do you think? I think so. And, and, but I think we're, again, circling back to that. Um, I mean, there are a lot of people that's been to the Burden of Dreams last year. Well, actually, earlier this year. And also right now, uh, Aidan was there now. Uh, Simon Lorenzi is there. It was a f- young French guy. Uh, Sean Rabotou was there. Mm-hmm. Um, Yannick Floe was there. Like so, it, it is happening again. You know that they're actually starting to to go and repeat the hardest stuff, which I think is great. Uh, I know Will is going over to the states to try Sleepwalker. Um, oh, nice. So, so yeah, I think. It's been like that, but the pendulum is swinging back, I guess, to to um, going around repeating Fred style. It's uh, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, and maybe that's a product of just not having as many boulders, you know, back in Fred's day that were mm. around that top level. So you had to travel to find those hard things, or they thought they did. Um, but on that same line of thought, you know, it's nearly impossible to gauge the difficulty of what you're doing. If you aren't spending time repeating those hardest things from everyone else. Um, and that makes me wonder, have we placed too much emphasis on the first ascent and and driven people away from the repeats? Maybe. Maybe. What was the question? Have we driven people away from repeating? Yeah, by putting so much emphasis on the first ascent. Like Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Just... You and I both think moving into new territory is a you know such an important part of this so that's true is all of that sort of mindset pushing them away from going to do repeats yeah like a first ascent is a contribution whereas a repeat is not and and if you yeah but i think it is for sure like uh, mm-hmm. the validation of something is almost of equal importance of course yeah 
I, I think so. I I think it's a contribution also in a in a much like I won't say a smaller way, but in a harder to see way, in mm. that it allows us to consolidate the grades in a better way. And this is a this is a conversation that's going to happen forever, right? Like we're going to be debating grades yeah. forever. But the more those top climbers repeat the grades, the better they can understand where the boundaries of those grades are and how to get past that boundary. Yeah. And another thing, like Fred put up the first 8B boulder and the first 8B plus, right? But if yeah. you are the first to put some something up, like the first Raja, for example, isn't it by definition correct then? Sort of. I mean, if it's harder than yeah, everything yeah. else. Yeah. Cause, yeah. Yeah. I have this, I have this debate in my head that's been going on for a while. And I just worked on an episode that's like Hubble versus Action Direct, which was the mm. first 9A. Right. And, and going around all of the thought processes that, that you have to go through to decide which was the first, you know? Mm. So, yeah, I think it's tough to, to say. Um, you can take the stance of, yes, the first person to say this is the grade, you know, that that's where the line is drawn. But then you have to look at something like Akira and say, was that 15B? Um, or was he just doing the harder sequences? And, you know, there's so <laughs> many different yeah, ways yeah, you could go. Course. Yeah. No, of course. And, and like... A grade is not the same. Like difficulty is never the same for for two different people, right? right? So, uh, but still, I mean, as far as the gap goes, like how much harder is eight C plus than eight C? Well, I think it's this much harder. So, yeah. and, and since this is the first one, okay, that's how much harder it is. You know, that's that's yeah. how the big. Uh, well, I think it's just interesting to think about that to, to when someone comes and say, "Well, this Fred." Uh, Tom Dance to Barolgi, which eight is it eight B? No, it's eight A plus they say. But well, it was the first eight B, so it is eight B. Um, yeah. But that you uh, had a great interview with Dave Graham years ago on the ledge. Um, right. But I think is up on the CIA feed now, is that correct? It is, yeah. It's the one with uh, Dave Graham and and Daniel Woods. And Daniel, yeah. Yeah. Wow, that one. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well i'm curious like fred put up dream time which you know that hasn't happened yet in the 90s so um i haven't told that story i will once we get to the 2000s i'm sure but then later dave comes back and says no this is not this should not be the standard for this grade we're gonna shift all the grades and now there's this new standard um, hmm. How do you how do you feel about those sorts of things? What's your opinion on that? Let's let's restructure the whole grading system. It's such a difficult thing to do, even if it were true. But the thing was that not all seeds eight C's were soft. Yeah, like the paradox is that Dave then goes on to put up a story of two worlds. Uh, as an 8C benchmark, and that one is now considered soft. Right. Like low-end 8C. So it's, I don't know, because uh, it has so much to do with beta and styles, and and uh, who's to say Dreamtime is not 8C? I think it's con considered 8C now, again. So 
Yeah. Uh, it's it's a tricky question. We're never gonna, we, yeah, because we, we're never going to agree on the grades, right? Right. Never, ever. They're subjective. No. They always will be. Yeah. Yeah. By definition. Exactly. So maybe it's a good thing, though, what, what Dave did to make us reconsider maybe the great inflation or whatever was going on. And, but then, I don't know, as soon as, soon as 9A came, now we're way ahead of time here. Like, um, yeah. but, but okay, let's just go there. When, when the 9A boulders came, all of a sudden there were a lot of HC plus boulders. Right. So I don't know. Back to the 90s, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tricky. Um, the thing I sort of came to, a, a couple of different things that you alluded to there when I was doing the Hubble versus Action Direct episode, um, one of them is that, you know, you mentioned that styles change. Mm-hmm. And I went and looked at the NBA and the three-point shot when it was introduced into the NBA um, obviously, people can now score more points per basket. And they didn't go back and change the record books. When LeBron passed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the scoring as the all-time scoring leader, they didn't go back and say, well, what if Kareem had the three-point shot? You know, he never had to learn mm. it, and he had it for half of his career. Mm. But he never had to learn it in his developmental years because there's no point in shooting from further away. You don't get extra points. That's stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so it's really fascinating to see what other sports have done when like the rules change or when their way of scoring changes. Yeah. They haven't gone back and amended the record books like we really want to do. Mm. Yeah, we go back and... and- Okay, so this first 8B flash turned out not to be an 8B flash, for example. And, and yeah. Yeah. And I think the other part of that is that what you said, you know, maybe it's good that Dave did that and, you know, brought that into focus for us. And I agree because I think it really highlights the subjectivity of grades. Like, oh, here's, here's this amazing climber, one of the best climbers we've ever seen. And he doesn't know what grades mean any more than the rest of us. No. So, it's just going to be subjective for everyone for all time. And we can all give our opinions and try to have an intelligent conversation about it. Yeah. And, it, and to me, that's, that's one of the great things about climbing or climbing culture, the, the yeah. ongoing discussion about grades. <laughs> totally. And, yeah. you know, speaking of grades, have you read the Ben Moon article from the 90s on, it was in On the Edge magazine, and he questions the resumes of pretty much everyone climbing at the top level at the time? No, I don't think it's so. It's fascinating. I'll have to send you this PDF. Um, yes, please. <laughs> in it, he questions Alex Huber, Jibé Trebu, Fred Nicole, and he doubts that their grades are correct because they don't have, at the time, a track record of hard repeats, he says. And the fascinating thing about the article is they allow everyone to respond. They get a letter from Fred, a letter from Alex Huber, a letter from Jibé Tribu. And I thought Fred's response was amazing. So I'm, I'm glad you haven't read this because I want to read a piece of Fred's response to you and get your take on it. Because Fred is so quiet and humble, um, I loved this response. I think it's good that Ben wrote something about overgrading. But what seems strange to me is that he didn't mention any previous track record of repeats at the highest level. 
In Switzerland, where I live, I repeated nearly all the routes around AC. I was the first Swiss to do an AB+, eight ACs, an AC+, a 9A, maybe the first in the world to do an 8B boulder problem, an 8B plus traverse, and an AC traverse. During my trip to the USA, I also opened or repeated what seemed to be the hardest boulder problems in the U.S., in Waco Tanks, eight problems between 8A and 8B. Yosemite, Dominator, graded 8B by Ben Moon, and I think it's 8A+. In Fontainebleau, I was the only stranger to my knowledge to open an 8A boulder problem, Karma. And as for Bainday Sang, I still think it's worth 9A, even though it was, and still is, to be confirmed. I accept that the route could be downgraded, but only by the person who repeats it. This has always been the rule, and it has to remain. I did my first 8B plus when I was 16 years old. I'm 25 now, and I think I've gathered enough experience to propose a grade. Good one. That's a perfect response, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I love that Fred's just like, here, let me lay out my resume for you since exactly. you put it in doubt. And oh, by the way, that boulder problem in Yosemite that you think is 8B, nah, I think it's 8A plus. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, one of the things I've talked with, like I talked to Will Anglin about this a little, um, Fred had a fairly singular style, uh, as many climbers did back then, you know, mm. some were a little more explosive, like when Chris Sharma came along, um, and then others were more static or, you know, like there's a Francois Legrand is like three points on always moving in control and and then Fred had this very sloth like, um, super controlled slow yeah. style. Yeah, that's really a fun to watch. Mm. And what I'm wondering is, do you think, in your opinion, since you've watched so many of the top climbers climb at this point, do you think styles have become more homogenous? And if yes, what do you think's contributed to that? And is it a good or bad thing? I think I could go either way. I think, um, I don't know, it depends what you mean by style. I think if you look at today's best competition climbers, um, they master all styles. Yeah. I don't know if that's the style, but I mean, they can climb whatever style, style that's necessary to, to which I mean, that's what all, that's what competition climbing is about, to master everything, right? Whatever's thrown at you, you suppose yeah. you, you must be able to do it. So that's competition climbers. I think outdoor climbers, uh, if you're really going to to push the grades, um, you have to find your style. Mm -hmm. Like Dave Graham has his style, right? It's right, it's, uh, and it goes out of wizardry and and small crimpers and and, and, <laughs> and knee bars, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, for, before you go any further, I love that we have all just agreed to use the word wizard when we talk about Dave Graham. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he's doing, right? Wizardry. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So I think um, outdoor climbers definitely have their styles. And I don't think that's necessarily changed. It's just you adapt it to the kind of climbing you're doing uh, and yeah. just the, uh, the area where you are, I suppose. Mm -hmm. So it's almost like Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do, sort of this style of no styles where you're just adapting in the moment to what's thrown at you. Be like water. Be like water. Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, we tend to like, 
we tend to hold roots and boulders as the the legacy of a person, you know. But ultimately, I think those are more of a, a product of what the real legacy is. So I'm curious from you having reported on Fred in the past and having, you know, watched as he as he redefined what bouldering is, what do you think Fred's real legacy at this point, his lasting legacy is? Mm. It's actually ex- where we started, uh, pushing the, no, actually not, not the pushing of grades because that's, every, there, there will always be someone pushing grades, but the mindset of, uh, going where no one's gone before. Mm. That is the legacy to to not be content with just climbing as hard as someone else, but to to really explore for ex for the sake of exploring, not for the grade, but for exploring what's actually possible for me. Uh, yeah, I think that's and also, I mean, we shouldn't forget that he's developed so much, so many bouldering areas around the world, opening up climbing for so many people. Um, that's because most people don't climb 8B, 8B plus 8C, and, right? But they right. go to the areas that he has helped developing. So Yeah, I don't, I don't I climb those grades. But when I went to Waco Tanks for my first time, it was like, show me to the Fred Boulders. Mm. Like, I, I want to climb the Fred Boulders. Like that's my yeah. first task here is find a few Fred boulders I can do. And it just feels so cool to be able to follow in those footsteps. Yeah. And just also to see those iconic, inspiring lines that yeah. probably can't climb, but to just see someone's climb that Fred did that. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I want to go and look at it, you know, even if I can't do it. Yeah. Like dream time. Wow. Have you been there? Yeah. I haven't. Oh, you should go. That's such a beautiful block yeah I, I want to and i haven't been to waco so well you should we'll we'll trade yeah. trips <laughs> should. have you have you met fred and climbed with fred have you you know watched him I, climb? yes um just by chance i actually bumped into him and i was going to sort of a local bouldering area here for the first mm-hmm. time had been there walked through the woods came to the block hey fred nicole Really? Here in Sweden. Yeah, outside of Uppsala in Sweden. Yeah, that was kind of weird. I had met him before, though, at trade shows, and I'd met him after as well. But to to watch him climb, well, that was an honor. <laughs> yeah. Is it, uh, now I'm curious, was it like a a well-known spot? Is it just a little kind of local backwoods kind of a spot? What was it like? It is, uh, I wouldn't say it. it. It's quite a small spot. It's like super good quality. It's like Ticino's quality, I'd say. Um, and he was there because he was there with a friend, a uh, Swedish guy. So he made a trip here. I think they went to Åland, you know, the archipelago between Sweden and Finland as well. Mm. So he was passing through there and checked out the, the area. I think it's cool that, I mean, that's one of the best things about climbing, right? Um that you could just go to a local little small bouldering area and bump into who's arguably 
and I don't think anyone would argue that he's one of the most important boulders, most important climbers ever. And you can yeah. just bump into the guy. Yeah, because he's also just a climber. Yeah. Like any of us, you know? And that's, that's the beauty of it. Like He's this icon, this living icon. And at the same time, he's just doing what you, you or I would be doing. Yeah. He's just doing it better, but <laughs> he's doing it much better <laughs> than I than I ever have or ever will. Yeah, yeah. Um you know, and I think that's what made him like a a secret weapon for people back in the day, you know, in the nineties when it was like Todd Skinner discovers the potential of bouldering in the Rocklands and and Todd Skinner's setting up camp in Waco tanks and he's like, I'm gonna call Fred and get him down here because uh, there's no sense in me keeping these projects for myself. I'll never climb them, but Fred's going to, and he's going yeah. to open new doors for everybody. And that's awesome. Yeah. Well, since the Legends Only comp just happened, mm -hmm. and and you've been asking this question on the internet for the past few days, I, I want to know from you, what does legend mean to you? <laughs> Uh, what does legend mean to me? Um, a legend is someone who has made a different difference to to people in a good way, um, like an extraordinary way, I suppose. If it's if it's legend, um, well, you have to also, of course, have a certain level. You have to be. Uh, you must be one of the best at what you're doing, uh, but you can't be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> or we can we can use some revisionist history and write over the asshole part in some cases. Um, yeah. But yeah. it certainly does not seem so in Fred's case. Um, there's a a local climber here, BJ Tilden, made a, a little film years ago that I don't think he ever put on the internet or anything. Um, but I have a copy of it and it's them in Waco. Um, and one of my friends, Leif Gash is trying this boulder and Fred comes walking up and sits down with Leif and he's just like, oh, you have to try like this. And he's, you know, he's sort of explaining to him this existential way of, of approaching this move. You know, he's not giving mm. him beta. He's not saying, put your mm. foot here. And Leif is just like, okay, okay. And then he pulls on and does the move. And, <laughs> and it's so cool to watch because Fred's just like this Yoda character sitting there speaking in riddles and it works, you know? That's amazing. That's a good story. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, Bjorn, you're... Your reporting and your podcasts have been such a massive contribution to climbing, climbing culture, climbing history. Um, and it means the world to me that you took the time to sit down and to, to chat about Fred. Um, I suspect I'm going to reach out to you to, to talk again when we come to the next season, which will probably either be the 80s or the 2000s. I haven't decided yet. I'm going to do a poll and see uh, what people really want. But my guess is it's going to end up being the 2000s. That seems to be the way people are leaning. 
Um, but I would love to talk to you again for this thing. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, and and I, I think probably also 2000s is a better idea because 80s is, while it's so super interesting, it's got, that's like saga territory, you know? It's like, it really is. It, it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what that's what makes me want to do it is because of the saga of it all. But the 2000s is so, you know, like the 90s for me is the 2000s for the generation right below me. Right. Um, There's so many climbers who are just like entranced by Chris Sharma and and Dave Graham and these guys led the 2000s, you know. Yeah. And the, the further, the closer to to, uh, to now you get, uh, the more characters there are, right? Too totally. many to choose from yeah. these days. Easier back in the 70s or 60s when they had like three. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I could do the 80s all about Jerry Moffat. Yeah. <laughs> He's such a funny guy. Wow. Yeah, I can't wait to get to those. Thank you, man. I appreciate this so much. Thank you, buddy. It was a pleasure. One, two. Written in Stone is produced by me, Chris Hampton, with help from Riley Rush and Emily Holland for Plug Tone Audio, a group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. At the link in your show notes, you'll find all the things you expect and probably some you don't, including links to Bjorn's excellent interview podcast, The CIA, which also contains, if you scroll all the way to the start, old episodes of The Ledge. And trust me, you want to do that. And look, this show is 100% rooted in the facts, but like Todd Skinner always said, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. If you love what you're hearing, give us those five stars and a glowing review and tell everyone you know, at the crag, at the gym, follow the pod on your friends' phones and share it all over your social medias. And together, we can tell the stories of climbing's most important ascents, one decade at a time. Stoners, thanks for being here again. And we've got another one coming in two more days on Friday. Um, I chose Friday's guest because while researching this episode, um, Riley did a lot of the research, but I was also uh, digging into some of these things. And I want to understand, you know, even if Riley's writing the episode, I, I need to understand the boulder or the root or whatever it is. And a lot of this stuff I've just built up in my head over many, many, many years. But I watched the video of this woman climbing La Danse de Balrogs so many times, so many times, uh, I don't know, a hundred times while preparing for this episode. Uh, and, and saying Balrog reminds me of something. I, I, I thought this was really funny. I got a message from somebody who was like, the uh, Lord of the Rings references make no sense. You know, they shouldn't even be in there. And if you're listening closely, the Balrog is actually... Uh, a demon character 
in the Lord of the Rings. That's what Fred is referencing in the name of his boulder. And that's where those um, references came from. Anyway, this is my art project. So um, I appreciate the feedback, but I'm going to do me anyway. Uh, all right. I'm obviously in an ornery mood. I don't think I've ever actually used that word. I heard my grandma say that word when I was a kid. I don't think I've actually ever used it, but of course she's from Kentucky and just pronounces it ornery, which is what I thought it was for a long time. And maybe that's still the better way to do it. I don't know. It's one of those words, though, that I see it in my head as I'm saying it, and I have to sound it out. Um, I've done that with facade. I've actually said facade because I can see the word in my head before I say it. Um, interesting problem. Anyway, I'm in one of those moods, so I should probably get off of a microphone. Um, not the best place for me to be when I'm in one of these moods. I will see you again in two days, and I might have some big news for you uh, come those two days. All right. <laughs>